Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm a little amused at how we sequence these ads. Like, do you need to clean up your cat poop? Cool. Well, <laughs> now that you've worked up an appetite, HelloFresh. <laughs> It's the way to go. Sup, <laughs> nerds? It's basketball. Welcome to Horse, a basketball podcast about everything except for the wins and losses. My name is Mike Schubert, and I am joined by my trusted co-host, the moving to Louisville potentially for next season to the Raptors getting to play in a place called the KFC Yum Center. It's Adam Mamawala. Adam, how's it going? Uh, it's going so well. One of my dreams is to attend a game in the KFC Yum Center and just thinking about that potentially happening. Very exciting. I did not know that the KFC Yum Center existed until 17 hours ago. And let me tell you, these past 17 hours of my life have just been truly fantastic. Well, this is hearkening back to a former that actually happened where we talked about that ABA team and the real Colonel Sanders. Yeah, it's really coming along. And I feel like if the Raptors do play there next year, which is a COVID concern because of traveling into a different country, Canada, obviously handling things much better than the United States, they might play there for a season and it would be hard to let that go. If we have to start talking about the KFC Yum Center for a year and then we don't talk about it going any further, I'll be crushed. So now I'm on team Get Louisville and Seattle basketball teams. Let's get two new teams, one in Louisville, one in Seattle. <laughs> 100% on board with that. And uh, it would be interesting because the Toronto Blue Jays were not allowed to play in Toronto, so they had to play in Buffalo. Yeah. And theoretically, mm -hmm. the Raptors might have to play in the KFC Yum Center. So basically, <laughs> if you're a team in Toronto, you will be forced to play in a place that has something to do with chicken. <laughs> it might be Buffalo, it might be KFC Yum. It's un it's undetermined, but you will be forced to place in a chicken-affiliated place. Uh, all this talk of chicken is making me hungry, and you know where my favorite place to eat chicken is? Where? The Teal Memorial Locker Room. So let's head on down. I thought they said no food and drinks in there. <laughs> uh, it's the off-season. We oh, can gotcha, do gotcha, whatever gotcha. we want now. <laughs> So, you know who's definitely allowed to have food and slash or drinks in the Teal Memorial Locker Room? Might it be our new patrons? It's our new patrons. So shout out to Brianna Payne, Kayla Rawls, and the return of Madeline Heising. Welcome back. Yeah, it's so great to have all of you. And of course, thank you to our existing producer level patrons who are keeping the show going. And those people are Polly Burge, Kendra Hadley, Adam Hartwick, Salvatore Testa, Trust the Process, Catherine Lee, Siobhan Ellsbury, Shooby Dooby Doo, Godzilla Got Busy, Steph Curry for three, Bang. He Sells Seashells, LaRon James, Matt Barger, NBA legend Robert Zachary, No Jazz, No Pizza, Eileen Gazesh, Avatar Kayoshi, and Don't Go Chasing Taco Falls. Oh, you love to see it. I, ha I have to say I was very mm -hmm. proud to have received some feedback on Twitter that people really like when I scream bang after Steph Curry. Yes, Curry. it's been a fun bit and I appreciate it. Some of the most fun with the Patreon and horse is people coming up with fun names. And when we can add some more fun to an already fun name, 
I'm here for it. I am also here for it. You know what I am also also here for? Wait a second. Are you going to say our sponsors? I am because our sponsors are supporting the show, which means we get to pay bills. And I love doing that. (laughs) Our first sponsor is Kitty Poo Club. Now, I have never owned a cat, but I've had roommates with cats in the past and Kelly's family has cats. And the litter box process seems horrendous, something I have never dealt with and have no desire to deal with ever. But thankfully, Kitty Poo Club makes that very simple. They're an all-in-one litter box solution designed to be convenient for you. Each month, they send you an affordable, high-quality, recyclable litter box that's pre-filled with a litter of your choice. And these boxes are leak-proof, eco-friendly, and they have a fun design on them. When the month is up, all you have to do is recycle the box, and then Kitty Poo Club will automatically deliver a new one to you. So you don't have to ever change used litter or clean the box, which seems like a not-fun situation. I don't know if you've ever had cats and you've had to deal with this, but this feels like exactly what you want to see. I have not had cats. Uh, I come from a family where uh, we were told that my dad was allergic to cats and dogs. In retrospect, I think he just didn't want cats and dogs in the house. (laughs) We did have a rabbit, and even that was a lot of maintenance, so I could only imagine how annoying it would be to have to tend to a cat's litter box. So this seems like a very good invention, and I hope, I really hope that if the raptors cannot play in the KFC Yum Center, the Kitty Poop Club (laughs) is an option for them. It would be fantastic if the Raptors do have to play there there and luck because you can customize your order based on how many cats you have or professional basketball players and what type of litter your cats and slash or professional basketball players prefer. And Kitty Poo Club has a no risk guarantee and you can easily customize or cancel your membership at any time. And right now, Kitty Poo Club is offering you 20% off your first order when you set up auto ship by going to kittypooclub.com and entering the promo code horse. So go to kittypooclub.com, enter that promo code horse and you'll get 20% off when you set up auto ship. Again, that is kittypooclub.com and don't forget to enter that promo code HORSE at checkout. And today's episode of Horse is also brought to you by HelloFresh. HelloFresh offers convenient delivery right to your doorstep for easy home cooking. HelloFresh offers so many delicious options every week to help you break out of your recipe rut and try new things. They have pre-portioned ingredients so you're never overbuying, which is not only a burden on the planet, but also a burden on your wallet. Adam, this was your first time getting hooked up with HelloFresh. I have thankfully been a longtime HelloFresh user because they've sponsored other podcasts that I make, but how was your HelloFresh experience? What food did you make? What did you like? Let the people know. I will say I just received it yesterday as we're recording this, so I have not made anything yet. I actually have plans to Mm. make something later tonight. Uh, I think I'm going to go with the chicken parmesan spaghetti. It looks fantastic. That looks really good. Um, I have used HelloFresh before and it's great. And I like it for the exact reason that you're talking about. It's really good food. It very much lives up to the fresh moniker. Like everything is just incredibly fresh in the box. As soon as you open it, you're like, these vegetables are very fresh. These look very Mm -hmm. good. The meat looks incredible. Uh, I assume you went with the meat box, of course. Oh, uh, you know me. Gotta have that in my life because my metabolism, it's a great problem to have, but it loves eating lots of food. (laughs) So I get hungry if I don't have big old chunks of meat in my meals. Totally. But yeah, I mean, it's super convenient because we're not professional chefs. We don't know exactly how much we need of everything. And then you end up throwing stuff out and you feel crappy about yourself and you wasted your money and you're hurting the environment and the world. And that's no good. So on board with HelloFresh. What are you going to make first? I have already so far made the bulgogi meatballs Ooh. and it was divine. Kelly and I had a great time. I just finished some leftovers from it today and absolutely delicious. And I, the next thing I was going to make is that chicken dish that you mentioned. So very excited about that. And if you are listening and you are excited about this, you can go to HelloFresh.com Horse80 and use the code Horse80 at checkout to get a total of $80 off across five boxes, including free shipping on your first box. Again, that is HelloFresh.com Horse80 
and use the code HORSE80 to get a total of $80 off across five boxes, including free shipping on your first box. So go to HelloFresh.com slash HORSE80. Use that code HORSE80. Get that food. Save some money while you're doing so. And enjoy the fresh experience that Adam and I are also undertaking today. Oh, hard pivot. Let's go for our first segment. Full court press. Get it like the news. <laughs> I get it. I do get it. So I think the only real thing to talk about is that obviously there were finals games that took place and a team that was favored reigned victorious. And now the star player on that team is a four-time champion. Sue Bird and the Seattle Storm won the WNBA finals over the Las Vegas Aces. What a time. If you were thinking about LeBron James, shame on you. You are sexist. How dare you? But yeah, the Lakers also beat the Heat. That's far less fun because the Heat had a bunch of injuries. But we did get an amazing Jimmy Butler out to destroy the world game. So that was very fun. I feel like he's gained a lot of respect. I've gained a lot of respect for Goran Dragic because he had a foot injury that normally takes three weeks to heal. And he played after, I think, three to four days. So mad respect for the Heat. They went out fighting. The Lakers ended up winning. Good for LeBron. I'm much more excited about Sue Bird and the Seattle Storm destroying the Las Vegas Aces. A sweep. What a wonderful performance by them. I am very happy. And as celebration, I bought a Sue Bird shirt. I buy Sue Bird shirts when the Storm win the finals. I previously got one with the face mask game. This year, I got one that says Washington's State Bird and then has a picture of Sue Bird on it. it. What are the odds that two of the best basketball players to ever play the game in respective leagues would have the last name Bird? What's up with that? Yeah, apparently one of the top Google result autofill-in things, if you type, is Sue Bird, one of the top ones is, is Sue Bird Larry Bird's daughter? I mean, if she were, (laughs) what a family that would be. Yeah, and I would also be surprised at how different she looks from Larry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I believe she's of uh, Israeli descent, and that is not a a thing that Larry Bird looks like he is. Well, hi to Larry Bird. But yeah, I mean, it was uh, entertaining playoffs for both the WNBA and the NBA. I think the bubble was really fun. The caliber of basketball was really high. It was really quality stuff. You can see when these players don't have to travel as much. And many players have talked about this in both leagues, just not having to get on a plane after exerting yourself for multiple hours and then maybe play the next day or the day after and deal with time zones and all of that feels like it allowed for some really high quality sports. 100%. And I think it was very obvious that that was the case. But as we talked about with our guest Jordan Liggins from The Ringer, it was an even bigger deal, I think, in the Wubble because these teams a lot of times have to travel like coach. You know what I mean? So yeah, the the big upgrade, I was so sad that I was listening to a podcast with Sue Bird on it. And they talked about the most recent collective bargaining agreement, which is the agreement between the players union and the owners for how people get paid and all those sorts of details. One of the big things in the most recent CBA was that instead of riding in regular coach, now all players are guaranteed to at least get economy plus, whereas NBA players get private charter jets every single game. So, you know, it's a little different. Right. That's the thing. I mean, in ordinary circumstances, if it were the Lakers and Heat in the finals, yes, traveling back and forth from Los Angeles to Miami across the country, even in the best of circumstances, there is still some jet lag involved. You're still Mm -hmm. getting tired, but they're flying in these beautiful luxury jets where they've got all the room in the world. Imagine being a woman or being anyone who's, you know, 6'4", and now you're crammed onto a Southwest flight. You're not going to be at your best to go play a game when you land. So, as Jordan alluded to, like the the quality of play in the Wubble, as much if not more than the bubble was was really high. Yeah, and I also just have to say, it is a big win for the WNBA players to go from economy to economy plus because that extra foot, I don't know how, but it's so crucial. And I'm six feet tall, so I'm not 
as tall as a WNBA player, not even close to that of an NBA player, but I was fortunate enough to have United Silver status for one year because when Kelly and I were long distance, I was flying so often and had so many miles that I unlocked United Silver. So for a full year, I got legroom and everything. And when I had to go back to the regular world of economy, oh my God, man. And all I do for a living is talk. So like, <laughs> it was rough. Dude, I it's so funny that you say that because I was also United Silver for exactly one year. Best year of my life. It was great. Just I got to swoop in and take anybody. You got to share swoop in. Like, oh, I, I got to Cheryl swoops in and take any open economy plus seat that was available the day before. And I got so used to doing it. And when I had to go back down to earth, oh, I was crushed. And by crushed, I mean my toes were crushed because I couldn't extend my legs. But yeah, uh, anyway, uh, Subert and LeBron won as we've been talking about this entire time, which wraps up our first segment, Full Court Press Get It Like the News. And now we move on to a special three-on-three draft because we'll be rounding out this episode with an interview with Jeff Perlman, who wrote a wonderful book about the Shaq and Kobe Lakers in the late 90s, early 2000s. So because that portion of the episode is going to talk about the Lakers, we decided to devote the other segment of the episode to the other winning basketball team, the Seattle Storm. And Adam and I are going to be drafting the most iconic moments from Sue Bird's career. Hell yeah. One, two, three. Three, two, one. Three on three. Very excited. The official way we sort the order in these three on three drafts is by doing rock, paper, scissors. So, Adam, how would you uh, feel about doing a little rock, paper, scissors right now? Whoa, virtual RPS. I haven't done this yet. Uh huh. So, because I'm not a heathen, we're going to do rock, paper, scissors, and then you throw on shoot. Okay, good. But you're not going to you're not going to do said shoot. I don't know why where said got involved. It's just rock, paper, scissors. There's shoot. a said. I've no, oh, I've never even heard that. Oh, is that some Chicago I stuff? I think it might be a new a new kid thing. Whenever the kids do that at tennis, they say rock, paper, scissors, said shoot, and I'm like, where did this? come from and do we have anthropomorphic rock paper and scissors that all say shoot anthropomorphic <laughs> is just such a good word congrats on, <laughs> on throwing that into this podcast okay so let's do this <gasps> rock, rock paper, paper scissors, scissors shoot. shoot oh you got me i threw paper you threw scissors you get first dibs what are you drafting okay i wonder if we have some of the same we probably do i'm gonna pick one that does not even speak to her dominance but it does speak to how nasty she was from a young age. Okay. This is my favorite anecdote. You may have read the same thing. So my first pick is Sue Bird signing an autograph for somebody when she was a child because she was that good at basketball. Oh, I, I did not read this. Oh, I haven't heard this. This is great. So this is part of her uh, her Wikipedia page. It says that she played multiple sports growing up, which is not surprising at all when no. somebody's that good at one sport. Uh, she played basketball and she played soccer and tennis and ran track. And she was probably better at all of those things than either of us are uh, at any one of those. Mm -hmm. But she was a very good basketball player. She was playing AAU basketball in, in sixth grade. And when she was 11 years old, she and her team got to play. You know how sometimes like at halftime of a college game or even a pro game oh, they have yeah, like yeah, the little yeah. kids come out and play right so they played during halftime of a saint john's game and she was so dominant in this like halftime game for fun that a security guard at the game asked her for her <sighs> autograph as an 11 year old huge foresight by that security guard 100 i hope he still has it yeah i would love to see if it was a classic like she just wrote it in print or put like a heart <laughs> on the eye of bird it's like the e is backwards like a little kid but she's that good at basketball That'd be very fun. I do enjoy when little kids play at the halftimes of games. I was at a Knicks game with one of my coworkers. It was Porzingis' first game back in the garden, so we just got to boo the ever-living shit out of him, and my coworker was a big Mavs fan, and at halftime, it was two 
teams of young kids playing against each other and he was just like i'll bet you five bucks that the blue team wins and i was like all right i'll vote for the white team and then the white team won so i got five dollars betting on little kids at game amazing <laughs> and and the best part about that at a knicks game is that it's a higher quality of play than what you've seen during the actual nba game yep pretty much it was uh <laughs> i think the final score was six to two but arguably more entertaining than watching my beloved New York Knicks be garbage at basketball. That just made me sad. <laughs> now I feel bad. That's fine. <laughs> Existence is pain. So, wow, that's a fun first pick. I hadn't heard that anecdote. That's very fun. So my first pick is what I had slotted at number one, I think is the most defining moment of her career, which she has identified this as well in her E60 doc, which I recommend everybody watch. The Sue Bird mask game, game five of the 2018 Western Conference Finals, is just an absurd performance that I don't think will ever be topped in her career. And as Sue pointed out, she says it's very strange for her career-defining moment to happen at age 37. 2018, the Storm had the best record in the league. I was living in Seattle. I was loving this. I went to a bunch of games. They were heavily favored to win the title, and they were in the Western Conference Finals against the Phoenix Mercury, who weren't the highest seed. They were the five seed, but they still have Diana Taurasi on their team. So it's kind of like when a LeBron team is in the playoffs. It doesn't matter what seed they are. If LeBron's on the team, you're afraid of them. So the Storm took a 2-0 lead in the series. They go to Phoenix. They lose both games in Phoenix, so they're back in Seattle for Game 5. Phoenix was off to a 13-3 start. They led 46-41 at the half. They were up 63-59 to going into the fourth quarter. I was watching it at home, and I was very nervous. But in between the third quarter and the fourth quarter, Sue Bird wasn't having a great game. She was missing a lot of her three-pointers. She's traditionally one of the best three-point shooters of all time. And her teammate, Brianna Stewart, told her in between the third and the fourth quarter, Sue, use your legs. You're not using your legs enough in your shot. Well, that's exactly what Sue Bird needed to hear because starting with six and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter, Sue gives a assist to Brianna Stewart. Then she hits a three-pointer with 5.48 left. Then she has a pump fake long two at four minutes and 44. Then she drains a three with four minutes left. So this is a 12 to three run by the Storm where Sue has eight out of the 12 points. Then there's a great moment. We'll put the video on our episode page at horsehoops.com where there's a fight for a loose ball with three minutes left and Sue goes down. Two other players from the Mercury are going after it as well. And Sue, who had a broken nose, Earlier in this series, Brianna Stewart inadvertently, her teammate, elbowed her in the nose, broke her nose, so she's wearing a face mask this entire game. When fighting for the loose ball, Sue thought that one of the players on the Mercury was intentionally trying to hit her in the face, so Sue goes ballistic. She starts yelling at the players. The ref won't issue a foul to them. Sue starts yelling at the ref. Like she rips her mask off and says, and you can see her say many expletives to the referee. Diana Taurasi is trying to argue with the refs that Sue should get a technical foul, which is very fun because Sue and Diana are best friends. But doesn't get a tech. Everything's okay. She comes back down, hits a deep three-pointer, two minutes and 51 seconds left that puts Seattle up eight. And then with 45 seconds left, she hits a multiple steps back from the line three-pointer to put them up 10, the final dagger. They win that game. They advance to the NBA Finals, which, spoiler alert, they went on to win. And it was just a ridiculous Sue Bird performance. Would you say that's like the consensus best game of her career? I would say that it might not be her best game if you look at total stats just because I think she finished with 22 points but that fourth quarter is just electric she was just on fire she had a bad game up to that point but then that fourth quarter was so good so I don't know if it's the best game but it's definitely the best moment if you're looking at just that fourth quarter because it was such a great performance but then also the stakes were so high this was game five it was win or go home and she got it done 
Right. And I realize this is this is maybe not exactly in the spirit of the draft, but that kind of leads me to the next thing that I wanted to talk about related to Sue Bird, because to be quite honest, like I didn't know a lot about her. I don't really follow the WNBA that closely. To be quite frank, I haven't really followed the NBA that closely until the bubble. That, that really got me back into it. But one of the things that's most impressive to me about Sue Bird is her longevity and also just her toughness in general. She's 40 years old. She just turned 40, actually, like a week ago, I think. Yep. Mm -hmm. She's still dominant. They just won another championship, which was their fourth. And she's been hurt so many times. Beyond the broken nose, she's had knee surgeries, I think, in, in reading all the information about her, like three or four times throughout her career where she had injuries that a lot of other players would have just been like, you know what, that's it, I'm done. And what's interesting is that there's been a lot of things posted about LeBron and Sue Bird, comparing the two of them, comparing their careers. And it makes sense, 17 years, four championships, all that stuff. But I think if you really want to make the comparison, her career mirrors Kobe Bryant a lot more in the sense that like- Ah, because of the injuries, yeah. She's, yeah, with injuries, with fighting through all of that, with toughness, with just wanting to win more than anybody, not diminishing what LeBron has done, but also being with one team her entire career mm -hmm. and being that person that defines a franchise. It's just super, super impressive. And it, it seems like at every turn, there was just no part of her that would quit ever. Mm -hmm. She's broken her nose so many times that they always travel with a face mask just in case she breaks her nose again. She's used to being hurt and she doesn't back down. That's why we love Sue. So once again, kids, Always travel with a face mask. <laughs> What's your next pick? All right, this is my next pick. I'll be honest. I don't think I did this draft correctly, but I still think we're doing great. Yeah, there's <laughs> no wrong way to draft. My next pick is Sue Bird has accomplished everything there is to accomplish. Hell yeah. That was my main takeaway from reading everything that I did about Sue Bird. There's nothing left for her to do. Yep. There's nothing left for her to do. <laughs> like when you look at her list of accomplishments, it's like when you look up an actor and you're like, oh, what is this person from? And then you're like, oh, everything. This IMDb <laughs> page has a thousand entries. The goals that you have as a professional basketball player are win at every level. So it's win a college basketball championship, win an NBA or WNBA championship, win a gold medal. She's won four gold medals. <laughs> She's won four WNBA championships. She won two championships at UConn. And not that it's surprising because we all know that UConn is a dominant force in women's basketball. Do you know what their record was when she was at UConn? I'm going to guess. So they usually, do they also play 30 games a year like the men do? I'll tell you the total number of games. They played 118 games that she was a part of. I'm going to guess they were 116 and two. <laughs> Slightly worse, amazingly. 114 <laughs> and four. God, what, what the fuck? <laughs> it's just unbelievable to me. That's wild. That's one loss per year. Here, here's, how, here's how good she is at basketball. When I took a screenshot of her accomplishments, I couldn't fit them onto the screen. Yep. Mm -hmm. It's unbelievable. <laughs> so uh, my my next pick is everything. She's the best. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good pick, honestly. Her career is just so impressive, and it's rare that you find someone that is so good at every single level, from college to the pros to the Olympics. She's just been so steady throughout her entire career, and I hope it never ends. I hope she plays forever. Yeah. So the second pick that I have is a little more off the wall. This is going outside of basketball. We know that Sue Bird is a better person beyond just the sport that she plays. And I think that recently that's shown really well in the way that she's approached the owner of the Atlanta Dream, Kelly Loeffler. So have you heard about all this stuff? She's an owner of the Atlanta Dream, a WNBA team, but she's also a sitting senator in Georgia. And she recently has been anti-WNBA despite being an owner of one of the teams. No, I, I don't know about that. So 
she is up for re-election this coming November. Everyone, please go vote. Please go vote. Everyone vote. Vote, 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 vote. And she is a Republican senator. She is trying to win this special election. And in doing so, she has decided to just become extreme right wing. So extreme conservative Trump level of politician here. And that has shown itself in a couple of different ways. But the most shocking is that once the bubble happened and the WNBA was very vocal in their support of Black Lives Matter and everything that came under that movement, Loeffler was very vocal saying that she does not support this. She hmm. started making a big deal about it publicly. She didn't enjoy the league doubling down on social justice. She said she didn't agree with the Say Her Name slogan. She didn't appreciate Breonna Taylor being on the back of the jerseys. She wrote a letter to the WNBA commissioner saying, quote, I adamantly oppose the Black Lives Matter political movement. And then she lists just a series of claims, most of which were inaccurate, including that it, quote, promoted violence and destruction across the country. Oh, boy. Yeah. So many WNBA players started to go on the offensive against Loeffler. And what they realized was that this is exactly what Loeffler wanted. It was the approach of if a lot of WNBA players start being vocal against her, some voters who dislike the WNBA for whatever reason, might say, oh, they're being mean to that politician. I'm going to vote for her because I don't like the WNBA. Gotcha. I'm racist and slash or sexist, whatever. Mm -hmm. So the players and Sue Bird in an interview said that they had to change their strategy. She says, quote, we realized, oh, she wants us to get mad. And Sue goes on to say she wanted us to try and kick her out. That would give her more attention. This is what she wants. So what they just started to do was not mention Loeffler's name at all. And instead of having all of their speaking being anti-Loffler, they just decided which candidate they wanted to support, and then they went full in on that candidate. So this is a special election in Georgia where all of the people are on the same ticket, Democrat, Republican, or otherwise. So there were many, many candidates. So a lot of WNBA players met with these candidates, had Zoom calls, and then they centered on one candidate, Reverend Warnock, and his polling numbers skyrocketed. In July, he was pulling at 17%. At the end of September, he was pulling at 26%. And then the end of September, early October is when they really started kicking it into gear, he now leads 45% to 41% in the polls. Wow. So he's gotten a lot of support from outside the WNBA since Barack Obama just released a video supporting him. So it goes beyond just them, but they have done so much. I just love that they realized what was going on and they didn't want to play into Loeffler's hand. So they just went full in on being productive with it and going all in on supporting Warnock. They wore t-shirts. They were vocal about it on social media. And it might work in Georgia. Wow. Wow. which is typically a red state. It's huge. That's fucking awesome. So shout out to Sue for leading that charge, her and the other veterans for taking a stance. A final note that I have just to show how bad Loeffler is, is that Loeffler released an ad calling herself, quote, more conservative than Attila the Hun and vowing to hold China responsible for the coronavirus diagnosis. So that's the type of person we're dealing with, with Kelly Loeffler. If you live in Georgia, please don't vote for her. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. It made me frustrated to hear about that, but it's cool to hear that Sue Bird stepped up in that way. So that actually leads me perfectly into my third and final pick, which has less to do with basketball and more to do with Sue Bird being somebody who's outspoken and speaks up for what is right. And this was in a recent interview that she did where she talks about the fact that a lot of times support for women's athletics is very conditional. And Sue Bird has some perspective on this because she is in a long-term relationship with Megan Rapinoe, one of the stars of the uh, U.S. women's national soccer team. And Sue was pretty blunt about 
her feelings in that the women's soccer team fits a very traditional archetype of what largely men want to see in women's sports, where it's more about what somebody looks like than it is how dominant they are. Because it's not a coincidence that people freak out over women's soccer and seem less enthused about the WNBA a lot of times. And the exact quote, because I don't want to misquote what she said, was, to be blunt, it's the demographic of who's playing. Women's soccer players generally are cute little white girls, while WNBA players, we're all shapes and sizes. A lot of black, gay, tall women. There's maybe an intimidation factor and people are quick to judge it and put it down. I think she makes a really good point, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. You know, Rapino obviously agreed with that take, and she said... When it comes to U.S. women's soccer, the general perception is that, let's face it, we're the white girls next door. The straight, cute, unthreatening suburban white girls next door. And it really sucks that that's how things are. Like, I realize that I'm not going mm -hmm. out on much of a limb to say that, but I think it's really cool that Sue Bird, as somebody who's as dominant as she is in her sport, would actually take the time to be that honest about an issue in, in her sport and in women's sports in general. Yeah. I think you can even see it within the women's national team. When you look at players who get the most love, it's people like Alex Morgan and Megan Rapinoe and Rose Lavelle, where, yes, those are all incredible players, but so is Crystal Dunn. And Crystal Dunn is black on the team, and she does not get nearly as much love as some of the other white players. So I think that is a factor. I think what Sue is saying is true. It's good to see Megan Rapinoe back it up as well. So you've got a lot of truth coming to it. And yeah, I think it's strange that the women's team, yes, they have the World Cup, so it's something that gets a lot of support behind it, but the women's basketball team has never lost the Olympics, ever. They've won every single gold medal that you can get for women's basketball all the time. So as much as the women's soccer team are national heroes, so should be the women's basketball team. I love watching Diana Taurasi and Sue Bird destroy. I think the fact that there is not as much love and respect for the WNBA and its players, I think there are other things that are factors in it. And I think what Sue is saying is true. Yeah, no, 100%. And I'm glad that she's able to stand up. I've always appreciated that the WNBA players are especially vocal. It would be very easy for Sue as one of the faces of the league, one of the highest paid players in the league, could just sit back and be very comfortable. But she is not. And I saw when this got tweeted out a couple of days ago, she got a lot of hate from the people you would expect, but she doesn't care. And she's going to speak her mind. And I appreciate her for doing so and not being afraid to say stuff that's going to make people feel uncomfortable. Right. And look, I'm not like being preachy here. Like I told you, I, I don't watch a lot of the WNBA, so perhaps I'm mm -hmm. part of the problem. But when Kobe Bryant passed away, there was a lot of talk about the fact that not only was it a huge loss for the NBA, but also for the WNBA because he had been so outspoken in his support of women's basketball, obviously with his daughter Gigi being a very good player and wanting to go to UConn and all of that. And I think that's great. I, I think it's awesome that he's rocking the WNBA hoodie on the sidelines. I, I, I love all of that. But I also think it's kind of shitty that we need that. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. oh, it, oh it, for it's sure. going to take some famous NBA player co-signing how dope the WNBA is for people to care about it. Yeah, that's one of the biggest things. There was a surge in viewership for this particular WNBA season from the Wubble on, and a lot of people that were asked about it said it was just easier to watch the games. More of the games were on TV, and it wasn't going against other things, and it was just on ESPN. So a huge problem, and this is what people always talk about, oh, the WNBA doesn't bring enough money, that's why the players don't make as much, and all this other stuff. It's That's also on the way that the league is marketed and how much money is put into it. And there can be more done to spread the WNBA and make it easier for people to watch games and more accessible and get more news coverage. And that should happen. And it deserves to happen because the quality of basketball is very good. We just got to get it where more people can see it. Yeah. 
No, I think you're right. Yeah. So shout out to Sue. All right. So for my final Subert pick, we're going back to basketball to end on her basketball dominance because it's very important. And this is something that she did in a finals game that I was in attendance for. So I have a very personal connection to this one. So Sue is not only great at offense, shooting threes, dishing out assists, but she's also a huge defender. She has had huge defensive plays throughout her career. And the one that happened in the 2018 WNBA Finals is one of the best. So this game was stressful with a capital S. And by that, I mean every S that's in stressful. My heart went through a roller coaster in this game. It was game two. They're playing the Washington Mystics. Storm had won the first game, and it's the final seconds of the game. The Storm are up 74-73. Brianna Stewart gets fouled, goes to the line. She misses both free throws. Horrifying. Never happens. There was less than 20 seconds left when this happens, so not looking great. The Mystics have the ball going down. There's seven seconds left. They are making a play towards the baseline, and Sue Bird does this wraparound steal on the woman that she's guarding after she has dribbled past Sue, pokes the ball out from behind her. The Storm get control of the ball, pass it around, run down some of the clock, get fouled, make one of the two foul shots, and then win the game. Of course, they only made one of the two foul shots, so the Mystics did have a chance to win the game with a half-court heave, which I was fully convinced was going in, but they missed. Thankfully, the Storm won. They ended up winning the next game, so another sweep in the finals for the Storm. But just this little clutch steal. Sue didn't have the greatest game that game. I think she only had like eight points and four assists, but the fact that she stuck in the game and found a way to severely affect the outcome of a game with a defensive play was great. It was very reminiscent of LeBron's block against Andre Iguodala. Yes, Kyrie ended up making the offensive play that sealed the deal, but that block on Iggy was huge. So this steal that Sue did cemented this game and it was just great to see and it made my heart feel a whole lot better being there in person. (laughs) Well, and that's the mark of a great player is even in a game where they're not at their best, they're going to do something to make their presence felt usually in the waning minutes of a game to seal the deal. Yeah. And what's also fun about it is UConn's associate head coach, Chris Daly, has always made fun of Bird for making this play. It's a risky play because if you go past someone and you try for the steal, you can either foul someone or it would not work and then that person's blown by you. So so about it, Sue said, quote, I've been doing that swipe around the back thing since I was like 18 years old. She, Chris Daly, absolutely hates it. She calls it the Sue Bird move. In fact, when she does scouting reports, she will say like, watch out for so-and-so. They do the Sue Bird move. So Daly was watching the game, teased Bird about it, and Sue says, quote, I literally, the minute I walked into the locker room, checked my phone, I knew I was going to have a text message about it, and sure enough, it said, congratulations, you did the Sue Bird move. That's great. (laughs) So we love it. We love the move. We love to see friends chiding each other for things like this, and we just love to see the Seattle Storm win in the finals like they did this year as well. And that concludes our Sue Bird most iconic moments slash best things about her three-on-three draft. Hell yeah. And happy belated birthday, Sue Bird. Happy belated birthday, Sue Bird. Bird day. This is our gift to you. Come on the pod. Bird noises. (laughs) (laughs) She's welcome anytime. Literally anytime. I will record at any hour of any day, Sue Bird. I will drive everything. Come on the show. So for our next segment, That Actually Happened, what actually happened was we got to interview Jeff Perlman, who wrote a book called Three Ring Circus about the Los Angeles Lakers in the Shaq and Kobe era, which we have talked about in many episodes, of course. So it was great to talk to an expert about the situation. So let's cut to that interview now. So for this next segment on the podcast, we have a wonderful interview. I'm very excited to get kicked off. It is with Jeff Perlman, the author of Three Ring Circus, Kobe, Shaq, Phil, and the Crazy Years of the Lakers Dynasty. Jeff, how's it going? As we speak, I don't want to brag. I do this thing where if people order the book ahead of time, 
I send them a signed book plate and a bunch of stickers. Nice. I'm about 350 envelopes in. So I don't want to brag, but this is actually, you were giving me a nice vacation from envelope filling out. And I appreciate that. (laughs) Thank you. Well, we are happy to be a break from envelope filling out for you to talk about this book. Here on the podcast, we love talking about Shaq as much as possible. So I feel like this book is the most up our alley you could get. It's got to be filled with some wonderful Shaquille O'Neal based nuggets. Oh, yeah. I love Shaq. I could talk about Shaq all day, so this is good. We could just talk about Shaq all day. <laughs> I think it's pretty great, yeah. I mean, we'll also have to talk about Phil, because Adam is a very big Chicago Bulls fan, so I'm sure that he has, you know, big opinions about Phil Jackson and the fun rumors of whether or not he's going to be the new coach of the Clippers sometime soon. It's not happening. There's no <laughs> No, probably not. <laughs> I mean, I'm a big Knicks fan. Unfortunately, I saw from experience that they shouldn't do it. I don't think he should come back. Wait, I feel like I'm stuck on something. You said something that I I feel like I didn't hear correctly. Did you say you're a big Knicks fan? Unfortunately, I did. Is that a thing? Like, I didn't actually know that was a thing. That's a thing? Uh, I I really wish it wasn't. For people who hate themselves, it's a thing. (laughs) It's the ultimate buy low situation. I'm just going through the worst torment possible now so that in 80 years, when I'm on my deathbed and we finally... Just make the playoffs in the eighth seed. I'll be able to scream from the top of my lungs. So enough talk of terrible franchises. Let's talk about one that was good for a while and then took a very brief, very brief blip. But current Laker fans are acting like it's been a million years since they've been relevant. And now they're back doing very well at the time of recording. They are in the NBA Finals. So who's to say if they could pull this all off? But yeah, the the Lakers back in the early 2000s were a complete force. It was so significant that I remember in NBA Showtime, my friends had a strict no Lakers rule (laughs) because Shaq and Kobe were too good in that game. It was just not even fun. So writing this book, what was it like just to dive into one of the strangest teams in that they were so solid, but also so dramatic. And they existed in a time where you didn't get to know everything. You didn't have as much media access as we do now. You know, I moved to Southern California six years ago. I'd written a book about the 80s, like it's called Showtime. Big characters are very helpful in books. And I don't think you can think of a franchise at one time that had a trio like Shaq, Kobe, Phil Jackson. I mean, you can say, oh, the, the Heat with LeBron and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. Like Chris Bosh in the history of the NBA is kind of an afterthought, even though he's a great player. Dwayne Wade was a great player, but he's not iconic. And LeBron's iconic. I just think Phil Jackson might be the greatest coach in NBA history. Shaq, you could certainly argue, was the most dominant center in NBA history. Maybe not, but maybe. And you can make the argument that Kobe's one of the top three, four players in NBA history. All those guys, one place, one time, one franchise, it's just made for really fun research. Yeah, I'm sure your book is loaded and riddled with incredible stories. But was there anything that you really wanted in the book that got left on the cutting room floor that, you know, if you could have added X amount of more pages, you would have put it back in? That's funny. I get asked that question a lot. And the answer is always no. Nice. People will be like, if there, was there a really good story you left out of the book? And I'm always like, no. Like, why would I leave a really good story? It's more like every now and then I would like to go into people's backgrounds more. Like I would like to give you more about the development of Nick Van Exel or Eddie Jones, you know, someone like someone wrote me the other day an email and it was a little angry. And he was like, you barely covered a game, 40 point consecutive game streak. And I wrote him back very sincerely. I was like, you're actually right. That is a fair criticism. My weakness in writing sports books is I don't care about the games that much. And I always wonder how much readers are going to care about them because they're so long ago and the books are so character driven. That how many times can you talk about them beating Utah or them beating Portland? Right. So sometimes I tend to leave things out that probably should have been in there 
action-wise. I mean, our podcast is very explicitly about not the sport. So I feel like, again, right yeah. in our wheelhouse, the stories are what's more fun. The stories are what drive interesting things to read about. And every basketball book that I've read, all of the ones that stick out in my mind the most are the stories. If you want to know about the actual individual games or the stats, you can watch a replay of the game. But hearing the behind-the-scenes stories, that's the kind of stuff that only a book could provide you. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to be totally honest with you. I was going to write a book, and it was just going to be a statistical analysis of the Lakers. And then I thought, I really want to get on this podcast. How can I get on this podcast? <laughs> and I went color, and I went characters. And here I freaking am. So <laughs> I think you made the right call. You finally made it. Well, I, I want to ask you so because I, I know that you'd written the book about the the Showtime Lakers, and along those lines, I actually a friend of mine uh, who I went to college with, I consider to be the the biggest Kobe Bryant fan I've ever met in my life. And so I, I told him we were interviewing you. He was very excited, and I've. I'm going to ask you one of his questions because I think it's a great question. What is the defining characteristic of this Lakers dynasty in comparison to other great teams or other dynasties? So in comparison to like the, you know, magic worthy Lakers or the Bulls, like what what separates them? I mean, there are a couple of things that make them really different and really unique. Number one, if you look at the 80s Lakers, just as an example, Magic and Kareem weren't going out together, but they were very symbiotic on the basketball court where Magic, his goal was to set up Kareem. He did not need to score a ton of points. He was dumping it low. How can I get it to Kareem? Kareem. Playoff of cream, everything is about cream. And that made them really cohesive. These Lakers, they had the two best players on the court almost every game. So they had this loaded talent. But I wouldn't say it's like Shaq and Kobe played off each other particularly well. The cliche, the boring cliche is, uh, yeah, they disagreed off the court. But when you got them together on the court, it was magic. I don't think it was magic. I think they were just freaking really good, like really, really good. And in a way, they won in spite of each other's indifference toward each other. You know, And I think that's actually really impressive because they weren't cohesive. There weren't Bird passing to Mikhail, passing to Dennis Johnson, passing to Robert Powers. There weren't Magic on the fast break hitting James Worthy, cutting down. There weren't Steph Curry and Clay Thompson working back and forth with each other with Draymond Green. Like they were two guys with totally different skill sets who didn't look for each other that often. That they wanted to score. Their first priority was to score. If they couldn't score, then they would get it to the other guy. And I think the other thing, like I, I think it's weird how in a lot of ways Shaq has become obscured from it all. Considering the fame Shaq has attained, Concerning how my mom would know who Shaq is, he's oddly overlooked from that era. And I think people really remember those teams for Kobe, partially because he died young, but also partially because he was such a dominant force. And I think what really hit people and touched people, it wasn't Kobe's personality, is this dogged, I will never stop coming at you determination to win. He set a goal to be Michael Jordan and he kind of became Michael Jordan. So I actually think in a lot of ways, this dynasty, they'll talk about Shaq, they'll talk about Phil, but I feel like ultimately they're going to remember the dogged determination of Kobe Bryant. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. And I think for people who know Shaq as the personality, the same way that people know Barkley, the personality, especially the younger generation, like they don't realize how unbelievably good Shaq was when he first got to the Lakers. Like the athleticism that you were seeing from somebody that size is something that we really hadn't seen before. I guess we've seen it now. If you want to put somebody like young Dwight Howard or Anthony Davis in that category, maybe, but it's not the same kind of player. Do you think people sleep on how great Shaq was? I guess you're kind of saying that they do. They do. Like I remember being a kid and there were two big announcers. Pat Summerall was a big football announcer. And there was this guy, Joe Garaziola, who was a big baseball announcer. And I always just thought they were announcers. Like, and then one day someone's like, yeah, did you know uh, Joe Garaziola was one of the great catchers, blah, blah, blah. And like Madden, most kids today have no idea John Madden was ever an NFL coach. They just mm-hmm. don't know. And I think a lot of people probably are starting to look at Shaq and think, yeah, I, I know he played, but really he's like the big kind of grumpy, jolly guy. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like a decade yeah. from now, everyone's going to be like, oh, Shaq, did he play? He played. And I do think in a lot of ways that has caused him to be overlooked. I mean, it's, in a way, it's to his benefit. 
but he's become like this ubiquitous pitch man who's smiling everywhere and he's saying funny things and he's on TV. There was a 10 year period where Shaquille O'Neal was the most dominant player in the NBA. For some reason, people do overlook him a lot. I have one follow up and I don't, I don't want to get too controversial or make you say anything you're not comfortable with, but do you believe in your opinion, Jeff, that Shaquille O'Neal actually insures his cars with the general. He probably gets free insurance, so I'm guessing yes. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'll make a controversial statement, though. I don't think the general is a real person. Oh. You know, he looks very real in the commercial, so I don't know if I agree with you there, but <laughs> we'll, we'll look into it. I'll tell you one more thing, too, that you may be shocked by. So this comes from research in the book. The character he played in Kazam when he was the genie mm-hmm. in real life did not have those powers. Hold on, hold on. I thought the movie was a documentary. No, it was not a documentary, it was a movie. Wow. Unbelievable. This changes everything. (laughs) So something you mentioned about Shaq getting overlooked, and this ties into the stories of the book, I think at least my perception is that people blame Shaq more for the dysfunction between him and Kobe. I think he gets more of the blame than Kobe does. Do you think that that is a perception that is true? Or do you think that it was not necessarily one person's fault, just that their personalities clashed? Is one person to blame? I, I feel like people like to peg Shaq more as the diva in that circumstance. So interesting. I always thought it was the opposite in a way, but maybe that's just from doing the book. I do feel like there's always a lot of, well, you know, the two of them, and I'm always like, and this is with all due respect to Kobe Bryant. I always have to say that. I mean that. It wasn't really the two of them. It was, it's 2003, 2004. Kobe wants to leave. He feels disrespected. He's tired of Shaq. He's tired of Phil. Flying back and forth to Eagle, Colorado for a sexual assault pretrial. He's mad at the Lakers for all these petty little things. Like he felt like they didn't support him enough during the trial. Quality of the plane they were sending for him to fly back and forth. He's just mad. And if the Lakers bring Shaq back, Kobe is not coming back. Now, if the Lakers brought Kobe back and Kobe said, yeah, I would play with Shaq, Shaq would have come back. I mean, he was under contract anyway, but he would not have fought that. But Kobe was done. He was done. When that thing was broken up at the end and Shaq was traded, Kobe, his press conference when he re-signed with the Lakers, was asked, would you have come back if Shaq was here? And he just lied his ass off. He said, Shaq leaving had nothing to do with me returning. I mean, we all have our lies, so I'm not saying it's sinful, but like that just wasn't true. He was not coming back. And the Lakers had to make a choice. Do we bring back Shaq? Do we bring back Kobe? I feel like they made the only choice they could make, which is to bring back the younger, homegrown talent who spent his off-season shooting jumpers as opposed to eating cheeseburgers. <laughs> Something that I feel like I gained a lot of respect for Phil Jackson when watching The Last Dance, just about his ability to try and work with such wild personalities on the Bulls with Scotty and Dennis Rodman and Michael. Is that something you think that he didn't do as well with the Lakers or was the Shaq and Kobe situation just something that was out of his control? It was a lot harder. He walked into Chicago and he had Michael Jordan as an ally immediately. Michael Jordan was all in. And also, if you think about it, the one thing about the Chicago situation is a huge difference. Michael Jordan was the number one and there was no disputing that. It wasn't like Scottie Pippen was trying to get ahead of Michael Jordan. It was very clear the pecking order there. It was always going to be the pecking order there. And that set up a very nifty little pyramid where everyone knew their roles. You know, Phil comes to LA, he says Shaq is going to be the number one, Kobe, you're going to be the number two. And Kobe doesn't want to be the number two. So I just think Phil had a much harder time because he had a much harder clientele. He just happened to have two guys who thought they should be running the show, whose egos were out of control and just kind of, you know, they both wanted to be this thing, you know? They both wanted to be Jordan. And Jordan knew he was the only Jordan. (laughs) No, I think that's a really good point. I feel like the narrative with Phil is always, well, you know, his real genius is in managing egos. And I do think that that's true. But do you think that that diminishes his ability just as an X's and O's basketball coach? I mean, I think his ability to manage people is what made him great. I don't know if Phil Jackson was a better X's and O's coach than Larry Brown or Greg Popovich or Yubi Brown or Rick Pitino. Like, there are a lot of good X's and O's guys. But first of all, he ran the triangle and he had Tex mm-hmm. Winter sitting next to him. 
next went and ran the triangle. So he was smart enough to have this guru next to him who he let run the offense. But I do think the best thing he did was not get overly involved with players and not get overly intrusive and not always barge in the locker room and not always lecture everyone about this and that. Like considering his reputation, he was actually a relatively hands-off coach. And I think he had a veteran locker room there, same as he had in Chicago, where, all right, I have Rick Fox here, I have Robert Ory here, I have Brian Shaw here. You guys kind of run the show. And if you need me, I'm here. But I don't want to be dealing with a soap opera day to day. I think that worked. Now, I know you did a lot of research going into this book. Did you also do a fair amount of interviewing in prep for the book as well? Like interviewing the players that were discussed over the course of the couple of years that are covered uh, in this Lakers dynasty? Yeah, I interviewed more than 300 people or about 300 people. Wow. From those interviews, were there any that stuck out as particularly fun or strange or anything notable of 300? That's absurd. (laughs) I spent eight hours with Phil Jackson in Montana, which was awesome just driving around Montana. I flew to Atlanta to hang out with Shaq before a broadcast one night. I flew to Dallas and spent six hours with Dale Harris, the first uh, Laker coach in that period. I drove to Arizona and knocked on J.R. Ryder's door unannounced to see if he would talk to me, and he did. Um, It's the whole thing. I mean, the whole joy of writing a book, the journey of it all, and going to these places and finding these people. It's the suckiest thing about COVID. I have another book I'm starting to work on. I can't even go anywhere. I mean, I love that stuff. I'm sitting in a car with Phil Jackson. We're driving around Montana, and he's explaining to the triangle offense. Just journalistically, that was a real high. That was really cool. That's awesome. Did you uh, get to spend any time with Kobe? Sadly, Kobe turned down my overtures. So um, I reached out early on. I was told I would have no chance. And clearly, I had no chance because he would talk, which really bummed me out. Mm. Did Shaq have any reservations about talking about the particular things? Was there anything where he was like, I'm not going to touch on that? Or was he generally okay to tell you about anything that you had questioned about? No, he was great. One of my favorite things he said to me was at, toward the end of the interview, it was just like a curiosity question. I was like, you always gave yourself nicknames and it was always with a wink. You know, Shaq Diesel and Big Aristotle. And I said, and Kobe nicknamed named himself the Black Mamba and kind of thinks of himself as the Black Mamba. Like he literally seems to think of himself as this thing. I said, that always struck me as a little odd. And he just goes, bro, now you know what I'm dealing with. <laughs> Pretty good answer, you know? And that kind of defines the difference between the two of them. He was in on the joke. Like, he got the joke. He got how ludicrous it was that everyone here is, like, getting paid large amounts of money to wear pajamas and play basketball. To his credit, because it, it sustained him, Kobe viewed it as life and death. And I'm just going after you as hard as I can. And I think Shaq had a lighter view of it all. Now, along those lines, you know, obviously Kobe's passing was such a, a- huge and and tragic moment. When that happened, had you already completed all the drafts of this book? Like, where were you at in the process with the book when that happened? I was done with it. The only thing I was able to add afterwards, I added a three-page author's note, really just kind of going into how who someone is at 41 isn't who he is at 25. And the Kobe you're about mm-hmm. to read in this book was a work in progress. And it was a, it's a book about a young man's development. Number one, I didn't want people to think some guy rushes out with a Kobe book and he wants to destroy Kobe. And I also wanted people to realize like we all go through growth periods and the Kobe of this book, you're going to find oftentimes kind of a likable and obnoxious and whatever, but it was just a period in his life. It's not who he was as a fully formed adult. Yeah. And I've, I've definitely gotten a few like, how dare you, you know, mm-hmm. who that F for you, a lot of, you know, stuff like that. And it's always say the same thing that I really mean. Like my favorite books tend to be biographies. And the best biographies I've read traditionally are about people who are dead because there's a completion to the life. And if you write a biography of Lyndon Johnson or Malcolm X or whoever, and you just include all the glorious moments, that's not history. That's giving history a hand job. You know, I, I didn't mean that that way, but that's kind of how it came out. We're, we're changing the name of this podcast to Giving History a Hand Job. At least the title of this episode. <laughs> At least the name of our next band, which is start a trio. And it's going to be called yeah, I just, I don't think you do that. So I get it. You know, like I always say, I've been saying throughout this process, if you're someone who just loves Kobe Bryant and you 
just only specifically want to think of him as a basketball player and you don't really want to know behind it, this book probably isn't a book for you. It's totally fine. You don't have to read a book. I think that was one of the shortcomings for me from watching The Last Dance was that because it was made by Jordan's production company or whatever and he had the blessing of it, it was so overwhelmingly positive. And even what stood out to me the most was the baseball section where people are like, oh, actually, he wasn't that bad. Like, he sucked so much. He was very bad. And the fact that the documentary was just like, yeah, it was not that bad. Give him a break. Like, uh, I don't mean to be a Jordan apologist, and this is not what this interview is about, but I would like to challenge you to try to play minor league baseball after not playing baseball oh. since you were 15 and hit 220. I'd be very bad. All but right, the fact that the documentary was like, he was good. <laughs> Like, I think that that was a shortcoming of it is that it didn't feel like journalism at all. No, it was it was Jordan propaganda. I get it. Yeah, yeah. it was like fun, nostalgia yeah. propaganda. I just think from the perspective of when you're covering someone, like you were saying, Jeff, like if you're not going to include the negative aspects of it, it's not going to be what you're looking for in terms of a book or a documentary or whatever that tells the full story of a team, of a player, the whole arc. And I think the fact that you didn't shy away from the Kobe stuff, but you still, you know... Like you say, that he's a work in progress. He's a different person than, than he was now. I think it's okay for people to still love a team or a player and recognize their faults. I don't think that recognizing someone's shortcomings means you don't like them or appreciate them. So I'm glad that you didn't shy away from those in the book. I appreciate that. And I also want to say, since you are a Knicks fan, I have no doubt whatsoever that R.J. Barrett is going to be a better player than Zion Williamson and John Morant, and I just want you to know that. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna write that down. I think he's messing with you. <laughs> Who's to say? <laughs> now, Jeff, obviously, so much of the book is focused on on Phil and Shaq and Kobe. My question for you is: of that era that that you wrote the book about, ninety six to two thousand four, who is the one player other than those two guys? who you think was the biggest part of those teams and them being as successful as they were? I think you'd have to split in half between Robert Ory and uh, Rick Fox. I think as far as role players go, they were there for most of it. They were really steady. They were really clutch. Great locker room guys. I mean, Robert Ory, the number of big shots he hit in his time in LA are ridiculous. They should call him Mr. Big Shot. They did call him (laughs) Mr. Big Shot and Big Shot Bob. I love his philosophy. Someone asked him, like, what are you thinking when you take it? And he goes, if I make it, I make it. If I miss, I miss. That actually perfectly (laughs) sums up. Jess wasn't afraid to shoot. So um, I would say Ory and and Fox was just really tough and taught kind of a wimpy team how to be tougher. So I'd say those two guys. Yeah. You talked about Shaq's poor acting past. Rick Fox also went into some acting stuff. Who do you think, uh, purely on an acting perspective, Shaq versus Rick Fox, where do you fall? <laughs> the thing about Rick Fox as a thespian, he was in Oz, the HBO series about prison, and did a pretty good job. Shaq, as an actor, has never done a good job. <laughs> but I would say this. One of my favorite lines ever was um, Brett Favre. You know, Brett Favre was in this, There's Something About Mary. Brett Favre is terrible and There's Something About Mary. And he comes back to camp with the, I think the Packers and a teammate starts making fun of him. And he says, Brett, I saw you. And there's something about Mary. God, you were so wooden. You sucked. And Brett Favre just goes, how many movies have you sucked in? (laughs) That works for Shaq too. You know, like how many movies have you sucked in? I've sucked in none. So he's got me. Similarly to the bad acting, Kobe and Shaq both released pretty bad rap albums. Who do you think was better at (laughs) trying to rap? All right. So Kobe only had one album. I mean, he was really bad, but he wasn't like the worst thing ever. And Shaq, he had one song with Fife Dog from A Tribe Called Quest that's actually a good song. And he also did some work with the, the hip-hop group Foo Snickens and was okay. So I give Shaq the edge. But when he had, he recently had a rap battle last year with Damian Lillard. Oh, Damian's actually good. Yeah, it wasn't really a fair fight. And it sounded like if you pulled a guy from Run DMC out of 1986, 
and just threw him right now against Drake. That's kind of what it reminded right. me. Of. It wasn't the best. As a Run DMC fan and a Drake hater, I would say that I think uh, I think DMC could shut down <laughs> Aubrey. <laughs> I love Run DMC, but it would have to be a pretty battle to watch Drake go against Rev Run. Yeah, I'm just saying. You know, I actually thought, I just want to say, I thought I was coming here to rap battle one of you guys. That's what they told me. <laughs> no, no, no. We're doing that after the interview. Oh, okay. All yeah. Right. We can't have a document of it. We don't want proof of whoever gets destroyed. Okay. Because <laughs> I do have crazy beats, yo. <laughs> Jeff, is there anything uh, that you would want people to know maybe that we haven't touched on in terms of like, I'm trying to think of what the best way is to phrase this, but like, who do you see your book being for? Like, who is the exact person who would love your book more than anybody else? I've been asked a lot, like, what do you want people to get from this book? And this is kind of my answer that I really stand by. So if it's okay, I'll answer it that way. Like, um, I feel like 2020, we've all missed a really good opportunity, which is to bond over how shitty this year has been for everybody. All we do is argue about everything. And we all have this collective thing where we've all had this hell this year. Whether you love Trump or love Biden, whatever. Like, this year sucks. Like, no other year ever. And if someone could pick up the book, if you're a basketball fan or a nostalgist or you want to learn about it, you could pick up the book and have a good few hours just reading about something that's really warm and glowing about a past era and about these stars and maybe remember Kobe a little bit, stuff like that. Like that's great. You know, that's not war and peace. You're not it's not the most brilliantly written book ever. It's a it's a basketball book about a great era and it's it should be enjoyable. So if you're a basketball fan, hopefully you like it. If you're having a crappy year, hopefully it takes you away from your crappy year a little bit. I love that. Yeah, love that a lot. And I think people having a crappy year is a pretty big market. So I think you've worked yourself into... <laughs> I'm going for the crappy year market. I'm basically <laughs> going to stand outside a Trump rally and every time someone comes out, I'm going to be like, I bet your year has sucked and you don't even know it. Buy a book. <laughs> <laughs> if people want to buy the book, is there a preferred place you would like them to go? Maybe uh, a particular store that helps you out the most as opposed to just you know using Jeff Bezos's super website of terror... <laughs> I'm a huge fan of supporting local bookstores. So if anyone has whatever your local bookstore is, it's all, you know, they need your support more than ever. Yeah. At Multitude, we have a link through bookshop.org. We actually have a whole list of like fun basketball books. So we can put a link to that in the episode description. And that way you make sure you're getting a book directly from a local bookstore. So win-win. Oh, Jeff, well, thanks so much for taking the time. We really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully people will check out the book. Like I definitely want to do as well. Great. Thank you. I'll see you guys. Take care. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for listening to this episode of Horse. Horse is hosted by Adam Mamawala and Mike Schubert. Our editor is Misha Stanton. The art is by Allison Wakeman. The website is by Kelly Schubert. The social media is by Mike Schubert. And the music is by Bettina Campamanes. Thank you to our producer-level patrons, Polly Burge, Kendra Hadley, Adam Hartwick, Salvatore Testa, Trust the Process, Catherine Lee, Siobhan Ellsbury, Shooby Dooby Doo, Godzilla Got Busy, Steph Curry for three, Bang! He sells seashells, Laurent James, Matt Barger, NBA legend Robert Sacri, No Jazz, No Pizza, Eileen Gazesh, Avatar Kyoshi, and Don't Go chasing taco falls follow us on instagram and facebook at horse hoops and on twitter at horse underscore hoops because uh horse hoops tried to hit sue bird's face with the broken nose and that made sue bird very mad god damn it horse hoops how dare you (laughs) (laughs) how dare you go to our website horsehoops.com for videos of Sue Bird being nasty, maybe some fun NBA final stuff, all sorts of good things. Mm-hmm. And if you want to support the show and also get some sweet bonus content while you're at it, you can do so at patreon.com slash horsehoops. We've got stickers, we've got jerseys, we've got bonus audio, we've got bonus writing, we've got videos. There's a whole plethora of fun stuff to have at patreon.com slash horsehoops. And thanks to Multitude for having us as a part of the collective. Always great, a lot of many great shows, but in this particular time, Multitude wants to promote that everyone go out and vote. The election, if 
you are listening to this before November 3rd is right around the corner. And if you're in the U.S., it's especially important right now. If you want information about where to vote, where to drop off your ballots and all of that, you can go to vote.gov. And please vote. Please do it. It's really important right now. And it's scary if the one guy wins. So let's make sure that doesn't happen. Agree. So with that being said, let's round out this episode as we always do. Put our hands in the middle on the count of three. I feel like to pay homage to the greatest of all time, Sue Bird, we should just make bird noises on the count of three. Ooh, I'm into it. Okay. One, two, three. Ooh, you went like eagle. I, went, I like it. Was it was more of a crow, but I like eagle ah, better. Eagle sounds more... Yeah, uh, a nice, majestic Sue Birdie bird. Totally. That'll be our next three-on-three Sue Bird draft is what bird is Sue Bird? <laughs> like the episode of Horse, Just About Horses. I don't know what you're talking about. That never happened. <laughs> With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.